All right, and we're live here. Uh, let's uh, remove that destination because that's not going to happen. All right, uh, Scott Stevens here with another perspective as we uh, kind of dissect how we are going to approach the information we get in the coming days, weeks, probably months, and even years ahead, it, barring some incredible unforeseen change in how Americans and we as a world digest and consume our news and information. On Monday, I talked uh, briefly, well, kind of superficially about Q and the QAnon movement and how that has appeared as one of the uh, probably the best viewpoint for the left or excuse me, the right. And then we've got the mainstream media and other sources uh, for the center and the uh, and the left. So I just kind of want to assess, let's just say the validity, the value that we put on the information we 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 consume and ultimately we'll never know one way or another until after a fact until the light of day appears on this landscape that is media that is politics that is the environment that is maybe what's going on up in space uh, on, on all of these things and once the light shows up and then we can see and we'll have that awareness to truly understand you know what the heck is going on and that's really where we're at a, at a disadvantage right now is we don't know we haven't and we know we're not able to trust all of the information heck sometimes we can't even trust our spouse or our kids or the teachers we have in school so what are we consuming is it truth or is it just propaganda and this we won't know, I'm going to say, until we, we kind of wind this down. Good to see you on there, Vicky. I know we had some hiccups with the uh, the last broadcast, as uh, and even this one. Uh, LinkedIn and, and Twitter didn't want to show up, so who knows? We'll, uh, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go on. But everything is always available on hashtag replay. All right, so we'll start with this, truth or propaganda. Now, this is where I was on, on Monday. I had Ryan McShane on, and we did a very, very cursory look at it. We didn't do Q proofs. We didn't really go into what the Q movement is about, other than to say, investigate for yourself and be aware that the mainstream media it has been corralled and owned by very few corporations. And in that way, we can control the narrative more easily. The other wild card in all of this is the Internet. It's the Internet. So as I was going off to look for a new Q graphic, because I didn't want to recycle one from the show, I went over to Pinterest just to have a look. So I type in Q, nothing came up. QA, thinking it would autofill and bring that up. No, that didn't happen either. So I typed it all out, Q-A-N-O-N. Pins about this topic often, not always, and we won't even check every one, but violate our community guidelines. So we're currently unable to show search results. Hmm. Okay, so nothing at Pinterest. So back to a guy who actually had civics in school. The First Amendment. That's kind of like, I'm like, why, why can't I find this information? This is a free platform. I'm paying for my internet service. I'm paying for the bandwidth. I've bought my own computer. I'm using my own time. You'd think I would have access to the information that I have chosen to go seek. But it's not there because somebody had said, no, you don't have the intelligence, the discernment, or the awareness to decide whether this is going to violate some terms of, of, of service. So First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. 
good with that. We're bridging the freedom of speech. And this is where private companies show up. Pinterest, Twitter, Facebook, because they're not public entities, they can abridge and willingly abridge our freedom of speech, even if it alienates a part of their paying because we're consuming advertising part of their audience. So if an entity or entities are going to abridge our freedom of speech, do they then need to be nationalized so that freedom of speech can be enjoyed upon their platforms? I guarantee you this will become a point of an agenda in the not-too-distant future. We nationalize these things, and now we're back to socialism. And the part of the left is anxiously awaiting the arrival of a socialist society. But will that allow for a greater freedom of speech on these platforms? Because historically, what we've been shown over the last, since the previous election, is no. Socialism will not allow for a freedom of speech. So right there, it's a strike against socialism via the First Amendment or the right of the people to peaceably assemble, which we are seeing sometimes not peaceably. Well, mostly peaceful protests. Don't don't look at the fire behind me and to petition the government for redress of grievances. This is a big one. All right. So we, the people of the United States, in order to perform or a more perf- perfect union, establish justice to ensure dom- domestic tranquility. I have this sense that this is what will be missing in the weeks and few short months ahead as we come down to this countdown to this election, now 34, 35 days away, to ensure domestic tranquility because some will have abridged those rights that we have been granted in the First Amendment. So back to the question, truth or propaganda? And as I kind of hit, had the hit last night to do the show on, on this, the first thought I had was Operation Mockingbird. And if you're interested in that or have seen that at all, then you're, you're kind of aware that it is an interest in how we shape public discourse. So, but I thought that's not enough. Mockingbird is not enough of a discussion. We have to get back to the greater roots of this thing. So let's start with MKUltra. was a series of CIA-led experiments on mind control, because isn't that not what propaganda is? Is a form of thought or mind control. These experiments began in 1953 and continued into the late 1960s, admitted. CIA researchers subjected thousands of U.S. and Canadian citizens, and who knows what, who else subjected to this and where else this happened. But I can promise you these were not the limits to the extent of these operations, including electric shock therapy, brain surgery, LSD dosing, in order to identify methods for controlling human behavior, and often the ability to split personalities, but much of it was focused around trauma trauma to indicate or to split personalities so you could create the perfect Manchurian candidate. And that is a great topic in and of itself and probably worthy of a couple of shows. The next of these three topics was MJ-12, Majestic 12. It was a council of 12 or commonly called MJ-12, also known to those who rule the majesty, the 12 who rule the world in majesty, is a secretive group of people conspiring to control the world. Prior to the 2030s, MJ-12 is a division 
probably 1930s, of the Illuminati focused on the controlling of the technology and communications. This is the key. And by the the mid-20th century, the uh, 1950s or so, the Illuminati leadership realized that it would need to control both financial matters. They've had the banking institutions for a while and really cemented that with the Federal Reserve in 1913. But they needed to control technology. And what was that instance that appeared in the 1940s, upon which this need would become paramount. A was the atomic bomb, the nuclear bomb, the hydrogen bomb, the neutron bomb that came somewhat later. But ultimately, it was Roswell. And with Roswell came communication or direct interaction in the open, because it happened in Roswell, New Mexico, and not at a base where it could be hidden and and, and sequestered. But it was the ability for humanity to recognize, realize, dream, and imagine that we are not, nor have we ever been alone. And if you can keep people prisoners caged inside thought control, not able to use their imagination to see what is beyond, then they become a herd and think like a herd. So we had uh, uh, MK Ultra. To manage the mind, understand the mind, MJ-12 to control the information from beyond, and then Operation Mockingbird to then further restrict our abilities to see what was happening inside our own society that would potentially make the news. So Operation Mockingbird is an alleged large-scale program the United States Central Intelligence Agency that began in the early years of the Cold War and attempted to manipulate news media for propaganda purposes. It funded student and cultural organizations and magazines as front organizations. And of course, this Wikipedia, and we already know that they already have their systems, their processes, and their gatekeepers for information. So I tend to use these knowing that this is what has escaped the censors. And there's plenty of other sources if you want to drop into this. But according to Deborah Davis, Operation Mockingbird recruited leading American journalists at a propaganda network that influenced operations of these front groups. CIA supported support of front groups was exposed in 1967 when Ramparts magazine reported that the National Student Association had received funding from the CIA. And then in 1975, uh, Idaho Senator Frank Church, his committee on congressional investigations revealed the agency connection with journalists and civic groups. None of the reports, however, mentions an operation. Mockingbird by name. That does not mean it ended. In fact, H.W. Uh, Bush, who ended up being, what was it, uh, President uh, 43, said that, no, it was before that, uh, uh, 41, I believe, uh, had, had ended, completely ceased the program. And we know that patently that is not true, that there's still that need to scope the narrative. And we'll have one uh, example here shortly. So propaganda of the United States is spread by both government and media entities. Propaganda is information, ideas, rumors, deliberately spread widely to influence opinions, usually to preserve the self-interest of the nation right there. And it doesn't even have to be the nation itself, but those that have been enshrined or taken the liberty to enshrine themselves in that cloak of power. It uses advertising, radio, newspapers, posters, books, television, and other media, and may provide either factual or non-factual information to its audiences. This is key, factual or non-factual. And if you blend the two, how will you know the difference? And if the two have been blended 
for decades upon decades. And then you throw a little bit of religion in there to deal with the MJ-12, the part of realizing or seeing and recognizing that, hey, we're not alone. And that fact alone that, hey, we're not alone. What does that mean for religion, which has been commonly termed and, and frequently the opiate of the masses? If you can control what people pray to, who they give their power away to, then they're much easier to herd around because they're not asking the hard questions pointedly, persistently. And so many wars have been used, again, probably by the royals, as a tool to control those populations. You keep them in a hundreds-year war. You keep them in a five-year war. You so severely scar a nation's ability their economy, their educational processes. And often there is then a cleansing of the intellectuals, the artists, those that question. So that's another uh, another aspect. That goes back to the MJ-12 part of it. So the history of propaganda of the states, it probably has never not been present, even during the Revolutionary War and probably before. You know, we didn't just willingly accept uh, the leadership of, of the British royals. And even then, the French were around, and the Portuguese just to the south along with the Spaniards. So there were still these other, other conflicts that were happening in the New World. But in the histories of the, in the, in the early years of the, of the Cold War, efforts were made by governments of both the United States and the Soviet Union to use the newly available mass media outside of the print in the, in the 17 and 1800s to influence public opinion. Because prior to that, it had to be by King Queen Edict or from the pulpit. The pulpit was the big place where this happened. So in 1977, a Rolling Stone magazine article, The CIA and the Media, reporter Carl Bernstein wrote that by 1953, the CIA director Alan Dulles oversaw the media network, which had a major influence over 25 newspaper and the wire agencies. The wire agencies being the UPI, United Press International, and AP Associated Press. And there probably was another. There are other smaller ones, like well, obviously by Reuters, they survived. The UPI didn't so much. But they we had the wire agencies. And even when I was in the media, I assumed those to be fair. I didn't realize, I hadn't yet recognized that that was like the first line of defense against these out of uh, out, out in the wild stories from getting to the print. Because if you control the wire agencies, you know, con uh, confirmed story, confirmed story, this story was confirmed. The wire agencies did that confirming, which is what you're taught in J school and journalism school. That had to happen first. And so uh, we, we know these networks were run by people with well-known liberal but pro-American big business and anti-Soviet views, like William S. Paisley, who was CBS, Henry Lucy, Time and Life, Arthur Hayes uh, Schlesenberger, uh, The Times, Alfred Friendly, managing editor of The Post. Now it is the owner of Amazon bought the Washington Post for $250 million name. We shall, shall not speak his name. Uh, so we could see that we had big money, and it only it, big money has to run these operations. It has to be. You've got big newsrooms. You've got advertising. It takes a budget to run a news operation. It just does. And so as we talked about rumor, you get a story out there. And this is what Nancy Pelosi said not that long ago, just on CNN. Actually, it was in a, in a briefing in, in Washington back in 17. She called it a wrap-up smear. You make up something. You create a story. And if you want that story out there to take attention away from something else, 
then you have the press write about it. You only have to have one. BuzzFeed can write about it. And then once BuzzFeed has written about it because it's confirmed, then CBS can write about it. And then if CBS and BuzzFeed have written about it, then comes the pile on. You, it just piles on. And then when you say it, everybody is writing about this charge, be it true or false. It's a, to, it's a tool of an authoritarian. And she admittedly said it's, it's on C-SPAN. So one of the bigger whistleblowers, one of those who wanted to get a bit of truth out there was Julian Assange. And WikiLeaks was his baby. You would have somebody who had a story, was able to be a whistleblower, access to information, and they could send that information to WikiLeaks who could deal with the security, the threats, the distribution of the whistleblowing material. And we knew once that the Hillary emails got out there, that the man was then locked down. The agencies, the three-letter agencies, you know, had, had it out for him. And because we have the Five Eyes organization, the CIA, the MI5, um, uh, New Zealand, Australia, and Canada, all working in concert. So laws, actions, which would be illegal in one country, another nation's apparatus can then go and execute. And this man was sequestered in an Ecuadorian embassy for seven years, I believe. Seven years, the man, you know, cut off, uh, uh, cut off from the world. So while it's unknown, and we're going to jump to 60 Minutes here and a story about Julian. While it's unknown what questions and concerns were planted with the 60 Minutes interview, Steve Croft of 60 Minutes asked Assange if he was anti-American. If he deserved prosecution, remember, he's an Australian. If he deserved prosecution because some say he operated outside the rules. Rules, not laws. Isn't that the whole point of a whistleblower? Is to step outside that and to share what's happening so others who are being victimized do not have to or can't. They cannot. And that's the whole purpose of this and the reason why this and other natures, nations have instituted protections for these whistleblowers. So why is it okay that some whistleblowers are allowed to do their job and others are not? As Chuck Schumer told uh, Trump early, early on in the administration, the intelligence agencies have six ways from Sunday of getting back at you. That kind of keeps someone in line. So this was a Steve Croft interview of Julian Assange. And basically, uh, it seems that Operation Mockingbird was running strongly in 2015 under whatever code name that it now operates. For those unfamiliar, Mockingbird was an operation that began in the Cold War, ramped up in the 50s in an attempt to gather intelligence and, inf and influence public opinion. The CIA recruited journalists from across the United States and ultimately would station them around the world as independent persons who could view, observe, whether it's revolutions, uprisings, uh, sabotage events, whatever the agenda needed, they could slap a press badge on somebody and send them into that act of war. So back to the media. Six corporations that collectively control the U.S. media today are Time Warner, Walt Disney, Viacom, Rupert Murdoch's News Corp., CBS Corp., and NBC Universal. Together, the big six absolutely dominate news and entertainment in the United States. But even these areas of the media that the big six do not completely control are becoming increasingly concentrated. For example, Clear Channel Radio now owns a thousand radio stations across the United States. When I was in college and taking my first journalism classes, 84, 85, 86, there was the 6-6-6 six, six, six rule. 
any any company could own six AM stations nationwide, six FM stations, and six TV stations. That was the limit. And in any market that they owned a TV station, let's say it was Denver, you could not own a newspaper. You could not own all of those inside of one market. It was limited. And even then, back in 1983, it was bad enough that about 50 corporations still dominated the media. But we had a lot of local businessmen who in the 40s or 50s thought, I got some cash. I need some some source of recurring revenue. He bought an AM station or he bought an FM station. And those were family owned, truly family owned organizations. But as money became cheap, then it became easy for these corporations to borrow millions upon millions of dollars. And then they could begin to develop an empire. So in 1983, 50 corporations dominated most of every mass medium. And the biggest media merger in history was a $340 million deal. In 1987, the 50 companies had shrunk uh, shrunk to 29. In 1990, the 29 had shrunk to 23. And then in 1997, the biggest firms numbered just 10 and involved the $19 billion Disney ABC deal. And at the time, the biggest media merger ever in 2000, I remember it well, this was the top of the dot-com bubble, AOL's Time Warner $350 billion merged corporation was more than a thousand times larger than the biggest deal of 1993. So we can see how we have had this collection of money all around the media. And if you could begin to control what people think, what people talk about, the questions they do ask, but more importantly, the questions people do not ask simply because they don't know about the topic to even ask the question. Now, another area where we see this huge amalgamation, this huge uh, conglomeration is in all the products. Now, these products go out and where do they do their advertising? Back to their six best buddies, Coke, Kraft, Nestle, Procter & Gamble, uh, General Mills, Kellogg's, Mars, Unilever, and Johnson & Johnson. And you can see that big, big grouping of all the companies that they have gone out and acquired. So not only did they control your water, your food, your entertainment, the movies you watch, and now the information you keep, the information you go looking for. I just wanted a logo off of Pinterest and I couldn't get one because Pinterest deemed I wasn't worthy of accessing that kind of information. I didn't have the intelligence, the thinking ability, or maybe it is because I do that they would restrict that kind of information. So uh, a quick list, Time Warner, and look at what Time Warner owns from home box off. They used to just be, used to be Time Magazine and then Warner Communications. Now together they own HBO, Time, Turner, CVW Networks, TMZ, New Line Cinema, Cinemax, Cartoon Network, TBS, TNT, AOL, which used to be a juggernaut, but it's nothing but a CD-ROM in the, in the trash can at this point in time. Maybe you still have your AOL email account. I used to, but... I tried to log in the other day and they'd closed it. So AOL is almost a nothing, no more. Uh, 
despite just 20 years ago, them being able to lever up and take on $200 plus billion worth of debt. Walt Disney with ABC, Disney Publishing, ESPN, Disney. I mean, the list just goes on. Disney Records, Buena Vista, Touchstone, Walt Disney Pictures, Pixar. Remember when they bought Pixar? Buena Vista Games, Viacom with Paramount, Comedy Central, Logo, uh, MTV, Nick at Night, Spike, The Movie Channel, TV Land, News Corp, with Dow Jones. Now we're into business. Uh, Fox TV, uh, uh, the New York Post. I mean, the list goes on. All the Fox's uh, assets, MySpace, are they still around? Uh, News Limited, Speed Channel, and then the Times of London. The Fox list goes on and on, and they're largely Australian and huge in, into uh, into Europe. But DirecTV being a big direct uh, to home broadcasting. CBS, not as many, but still one of the big three American networks. CBS News, Sports TV, CNET. That used to be one of my favorite uh, computer information websites, and now they've been absorbed into the conglomerate of CBS. Interesting that Huffington Post, uh, uh, Verizon owns them, and, and they can't sell the dang thing. Just nobody reads Huffington Post anymore. Well, not nobody, but it's just so partisanized that they can't sell advertising to anything outside of this very, very small audience. And then NBC Universal, uh, Bravo, CNBC, the NBC News, and, and Sports, Oxygen, Sci-Fi. You remember when Sci-Fi used to be legit? Now they own the Weather Channel. I remember when the Weather Channel actually did weather 24 7 and now it has to be entertainment it's because these big guys come on in and buy it so other monopolies that were broken up you remember standard oil no probably not they were broken up in 1911 after just 41 years of being in existence they uh, broke up into esso uh, of new jersey the standard oil of new york standard oil of california standard oil of kentucky indiana ohio and then the ohio oil company but eventually what happened to them they came back together Exxon Mobil, Chevron, BP. I thought BP was British Petroleum. Well, still is. But then what, what, what's worth a name? And AT&T broken up into the baby bells in 1982, but then allowed, if not even encouraged, to later unite. So AT&T broken up into all of these separate companies and then gradually merged back into AT&T, Verizon, and Quest. And ultimately, it may all be AT&T once again. So now you know propaganda became legal in the United States in 2013. It was the 2013 NDAA, or National Defense Authorization Act, bill nullified two U.S. laws, the Smith-Munt Act of 1948 and then the Foreign Relations Authorization Act in 1987. Both of those had previously banned domestic propaganda. And then the 2012 modernization of the Smith-Munt Act, watch out for whenever they modernize an act. Nothing good comes from that. Something is always simplified. Instead of having to go to three courts to get a warrant, we have to just go to one. Now, it's just an example. But Obama ended the ban on the United States domestic pro uh, propaganda, meaning that all of these assets can now be weaponized, including NPR, the Voice of America, now targeting Americans despite a ban on, on funding domestic news distribution. So you can't even trust NPR to be unabashedly unbiased. They're allowed to, if not encouraged to, to continue the funding. And the same thing is, is you've got to be able to have a good relationship with the government. Otherwise, they can make life rather difficult for you. And that isn't just in this country. So what we're allowed to see is, you know, what is it? You know, is 10% of the iceberg above the water and the rest of it, if you don't know about it, you don't ask any questions. 
And that is the main reason why this happens. Media manipulation in the U.S. today is more efficient than it was in Nazi Germany. Why? Because we have the pretense that we're getting all of the information we want. That misconception prevents people from even looking for the truth. If you're content with turning on the evening news, and I know lots of people who are, they're satisfied with that. That's the end of it. And then even if they're programmed, there's uh, one of the, uh, somebody, it was the KGB, basically said in their, some of their psi warfare, if you bombard a person with negative news, negative media, with a negative message for upwards of two months, they surrender to it. They quit resisting. And now they've been brought into the fold. Just two months. That's all it takes. And someone, people, a population will give up. Give up thinking for themselves. Give up thinking just so they don't have to have that angst, that friction, that I don't believe that. They just let it go. And then you've won. What is truth? And that's a really, really tough answer. That's a tough one to go. Uh, Truth is the property of being in accord with fact or reality. And there's a lot of places we can go with just that simple sentence. If you watch something in the news, you think you see two airplanes hitting a building. Does that make it reality? Does that make it fact? Yes, something happened. But does that explain what happened or what brought those planes to that point in time to where we all saw the event? Is that truth? And is that an accurate reality? So in everyday language, truth is typically ascribed to things that aim or aim to represent reality, reality or otherwise correspond to it, such as beliefs, propositions, or declarative sentences. So is a belief truth, or is it just a box one puts oneself in to make the things they're seeing comfortable? Truth is usually held to be the opposite of falsity. That's okay. The concept of truth is discussed and debated in various contexts, including philosophy, art, theology, and science. You would think, and coming from the science background that I did in meteorology, that science, two and two is four, and that's mathematics. But then there are so many other places where science and facts can be interpretive inside a larger context. And I think that's where we come back to the truth being the property in or in accord with fact or reality. That the larger picture is that we really don't know what's going on. Even if we saw it on TV, the narrative around an event isn't necessarily the proper context in which to frame a news event. So let's keep going here. If you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. So when you turn on the news, when you open the newspaper, is it the same or is it contradictory to what was read yesterday? And even then, did it trigger a response, an emotional response largely in you yesterday to where you remember what you read? One of the things I enjoy doing is looking at old stories whether it's online or just getting out some magazines or something I've, I've kept from 10, 15, even 20 years ago. But old newspaper copy from the New York Times, cover of the, of the Times and say the 19, early 1900s, like during World War I, or after the stock market crashed. Interesting how they frame a particular event in history, whether it's the Titanic or the Hindenburg, or even now 9-11, how they seem to know so much about a story 
even though we haven't yet had an eyewitness on site. And maybe that eyewitness was placed there to bring that version of the story back and to begin to frame the narrative before we can come to our own individual conclusions. Good to see you guys over there. Uh, Michelle, Vicky, uh, Ryan's in there from Monopolies. Uh, we'll, we'll get to this. We'll get to this. All right. So another aspect of truth, and this was just a screenshot of some of the uh, the first results that came up. And to tell you, I do not use that search engine that begins with the letter G. I tend to use DuckDuckGo just because. Truth in metaphysics and the philosophy of language, the property of sentences, assertions or beliefs, thoughts or pro, uh, propositions that are said in ordinary discourse to agree with the facts or to state what is the case. Truth is the aim of belief. Falsity is at fault. People need the truth. Da, 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 da. So I think as we move through time and we approach the resolu- we approach the resolution of a lot of these things that are bringing angst to people, truth is like a surgery. It hurts but it cures. A lie is like a painkiller. It gives instant relief, but it has side effects forever. And we are on the verge of a global transformation, and this we could probably all agree on as being a relative truth. And all we need is the right major crisis, and the nations will accept this new world order. David Rockefeller is no longer with us, but nonetheless, this is an agenda. And if we can control how we feel about an event, if we can control the event and, and parse it as being the truth, then we will accept the remedy. All right, we'll wind it down here. Truth or propaganda? A single lie discovered is enough to create doubt in every truth expressed. Think about that. So if we see and recognize or are shown in time what is really going on, does that undo the thread of the entire tapestry of the story that we have been shown? Will that be enough? Or are we so conditioned after years of storytelling that we can't accept the truth? I mean, the real truth. So karma says, if you focus on hurt, you'll continue to suffer. If you focus on the lesson, if you focus on the lesson, you will continue to grow. And this may be an afterwards, after the reveal, after our recognition of what has been happening, and more importantly, why it was happening, that we'll see, recognize, and understand the lesson. And then as a people, as a people, we will be able to move forward in a whole different light. And that... I know will happen. So what is done in the dark pays the heaviest price in the light. And that's where we are on this day. What is done in the dark pays the heaviest price in light. We've all been there. We've all had those things that we've done that eventually come to be known. And sometimes what has been done has been done on a corporate scale or even a national scale and ultimately a global scale. And what is done in the dark, and no doubt these in, in, in hindsight will be seen as dark, dark days. And maybe the darkest ones are still ahead of us. Maybe they're not. But either way, it will be a reveal, an apocalypse, a truth being shared that will reveal all that has happened and then allow us to recognize the lesson that we've gone through, the price we have paid for towing a line, but also it will show the way forward. 
All right, guys, thanks for coming in there. To see you all over there. Trauma-based abuse. Yeah, that's probably uh, that's probably really where it is, uh, Ryan. And I think we'll we'll recognize that in the clearest of days um, in the not-so-distant future. All right, thanks for stopping in here on, on Another Perspective. Well, uh, I guess it's just Thursday tomorrow, isn't it? And then Friday, we'll be on Vicky's Coffee Break Show at 10 o'clock. I think I have one more graphic up right here. Yeah, there it is. There's all that business. Uh, with Vicky's show at uh, 11 o'clock Mountain, uh, Tracy's 6 o'clock on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and on Monday, Wednesday. And of course, uh, that's me, you know, over there on the end graphic. All right, thanks for coming in there. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, I, I enjoyed this. I, I was a little nervous about hitting this, but it's so important. When you've been in the media, you recognize the weaknesses of, of the system that we're all set up in. There are huge weaknesses, and not rarely are we encouraged to rock the boat. You don't want to mess with the money. Time and time again, you don't want to mess with the money. And that is the big rule is don't mess with the money. Truth be damned, just don't mess with that income stream. All right, that's our, our our meeting for the day. I'll catch you tomorrow on uh, a little check on the weather. Uh, I sent a little indication that we might finally get some rain into the West, and that would definitely be welcome. Have a great night, everybody. In the meantime, keep looking up.